0: Welcome to another episode of I Buzz, the animal care and welfare podcast by Animal Concepts and the Practical Animal Welfare Science, the Pause platform. I'm your host, Sabrina Brando, and I'm delighted to welcome back professor at the zoo, Terry Maple, who is an American behavioral research scientist, a wildlife conservationist, professor emeritus, and also zoo director emeritus, and author of many, many books. And Terry has already featured on an iBuzz podcast number 21 and we'll link to that and today he is back to talk all about his new released book Atlantis Iconic Ape. Welcome Terry. Hey thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast and we're looking forward to hearing about your new book that I just recently read and uh, perhaps you can start with a short story on uh, like an early story on connecting with uh, Willie B, who is really, uh, you know, the, uh, the main character, if you like, of, of your book.
1: Well, you know, Willie B is a very special animal. Uh, uh, I think uh, there's two things uh, about it that relate uh, so well to your podcast series. The first one is resiliency. I, there's no animal I that I can think of more resilient than this creature. Uh, he started out in life uh, captured in the wild as a little baby, uh, made that torturous trip across the oceans, and ended up somehow in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, all of a sudden, he was a captive living alone for 27 years. Uh, he had friends, the uh, keepers took good care of him. And he, he was a celebrity, but he was very lonely and uh, lacked socialization and when I came along in uh, 1975, uh, joining the faculty at Emory University, I went to the zoo to study orangutans. Uh, they had a nice group there, but uh, I saw this singleton gorilla, and he was quite fascinating. And uh, I just thought, what a terrible thing, He's, it's, how, why would we uh, ever want to have a big guy like this all by himself? Gorillas are meant to be in social groups. but of course, there were a lot of single gorillas in those days, starting with the great Gargantua, you've heard of him, the circus ape. There was animals in various cities around the world that were famous. And they were always famous because of their uh, their strength and their appearance. And Really, people kind of feared them. And uh, that was certainly true in the case of Gargantua. Willie B was very popular because he was named after the mayor of Atlanta, William B. Hartsfield, who was mayor for 24 years. So he was a a little bit more of a celebrity in the South than he was anywhere else. The other aspect, of course, of this story is that it's an allegory for animal welfare reform. And his whole life embodied the changes that occurred during the time that you and I have been active in this field Uh, from the time animals were held in hard, restrictive environments to the time they were liberated into naturalistic facilities uh, designed by creative architects like John Cole and implemented in various places like Atlanta. So it's been quite a revolution and Willie B, I I think, embodies the spirit of that change.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And the book is really, you know, it's it has all these different aspects of general care and welfare of gorillas to the psychobiology of gorillas. We're going to hear a lot about it, including testimonials and tributes. And you talked about, you know, having friends, keeper friends, but being held alone, but uh, then also some other stories that you've written. So it's it's a very nice book, highly recommended to others, but perhaps for those listening who don't necessarily know more details about you and who you are, if you could do a short introduction to your background and then, you know, how did you end up at Zoo Atlanta and find Willie B?
1: Well, I... Uh... I was like every other fresh PhD uh, back in 1975. I was looking for a job and uh, I was educated at University of California Davis. I was a protege of Gary Mitchell, who was one of Harry F. Harlow's students. So Harlow was my academic grandfather and uh, he influenced me a great deal. I was very interested in uh, attachment and socialization and I was also interested in how animals developed abnormal behaviors as a result of restricted living. So uh, I had the opportunity to interview at Emory University, and uh, they were looking for, oddly, an animal social psychologist. And uh, I turned out that I had enough social psychology background and certainly a big animal background that I fit the model. the other thing about my application was uh, some of the other applicants wanted space and they had very little lab space. And when I got there to interview, I said, I don't need any space, I'm going to the zoo. (laughs) I'm gonna work there. I'm gonna work at at Yerkes, of course, (coughs) where uh, the great apes were. And I didn't need to put anything in a small laboratory cage. And they were happy about that. So uh, somehow I emerged, uh, and it was quite a competitive field. It was a hundred people that applied, and I was selected. So I was very happy and very proud. Although moving from California to Georgia was a bit scary, I didn't know much about the South, and I was uh, California through and through at that time. But my wife and I decided to accept the job, and uh, I got to Emory and. Uh, it opened up this whole universe of research opportunities, particularly at the zoo. And I had always been interested in zoos. I grew up in San Diego, and the great San Diego Zoo was a big factor in uh, in my awareness of what uh, a person could do in their life. So uh, uh, I was always thinking about why this little zoo was so bad and San Diego Zoo was so good. So that kind of from the very beginning was part of my thought process. So uh, I began to do more and more work at the zoo. And in 1978, uh, a rather unfortunate tragedy occurred. Richard K. Davenport, one of the great uh, Yerkes-influenced psychologists, uh, died. Suddenly he uh, committed suicide, sadly, and had some difficulties in his life. He was only 50 years old. And this opened up a job at Georgia Tech. Now, the Georgia Institute of Technology is an engineering school, but they're very, very big on applied fields. And I was getting more and more applied, moving away from the basic research into the applications. What my mentor, Robert Sommer, calls action research. And that is, you do research, but at the same time, you're activating change. And I was kind of a reformer at heart. So when uh, Georgia Tech reached out to me to replace Davenport, they thought I would be a good replacement. Um, I won the job. And um, it just was the best thing that ever happened to me. Emory was really good and uh, I learned a lot there and it was was wonderful uh, being there for three years. But when I got to tech, uh, just for some reason, the whole thing was uh, very much more supportive of the kind of work that I wanted to do. So, that started a 30 year career at Georgia Tech. I can't believe it went so fast. But the best thing about uh, my career is that I've been able to attract brilliant students and most of them women. And they've come through uh, to be trained and, and, and supervised through the PhD. And uh, you know that m- many of them are icons of the zoo world now. They're, they're the new leaders, people like Jackie Ogden. Teres Stowinski and Kristen Lucas. Uh, these are just brilliant uh, people who are changing zoos, and so my my reform nature kind of uh, was shared to the point where we now have an army of reformers <laughs> that came out of this tech lab, and uh, the zoo was our our tabula rasa, because suddenly. In 1984, when the zoo was at its worst point, uh, and they were desperate for leadership, uh, Andrew Young, the mayor, a man I greatly admire, a civil rights hero, reached out to me and hired me to stop the bleeding, really. and uh, I I went over there uh, to uh, uh, do things that would help the animals because it was seen as an animal welfare disaster at the time. One of the ten worst zoos in America, rated really, by the Humane Society of U.S. So it was a tough job, pretty tough job. But as a result of being able to be zoo director and college professor, I did something that very few people in the world have ever been able to do. I had an institution that wanted to change; they wanted me to be the change agent, and then I studied the change. So this is just. Uh, Will it be chapter One in the, in the change that we were able to affect?
0: yes. and and I think I really like that you know an army of reformers and active research. So yeah, doing the research, and as you say, you know studying it, making changes, studying the changes, and constantly this whole dynamic process. And uh, thanks so much for sharing that. And perhaps, You know, um, obviously, people who are working with gorillas, caring for gorillas, they know a lot about gorillas in general. And uh, perhaps for those that are not necessarily working with gorillas yet or might inspire, so maybe they have to get studying, perhaps you can talk a little bit about general care and welfare of gorillas as a baseline.
1: Well, I guess the thing that I observed uh, initially, as I said, uh, that was the biggest deficiency is that these gorillas, uh, many of them were housed alone. And uh, zoos didn't know much about them or, or how to care for them. And they were hard to get. So uh, you'd see one here and one there. Occasionally, you'd see a pair of gorillas. And the, again, the zoo world was uh, a little short of uh, knowledge and awareness. And so they they thought they could live in pairs. And that's not the way they live in the wild. We During this reform period, we transformed our thinking from lab or, or captive experience to wild experience. And as the field workers began to generate data, we were paying attention. And uh, people like me played a transition uh, uh, a role of transition where I was able to take field data and apply it to what might be possible in captivity. And that's how we got together with architects like Co. and uh, began to uh, vision a different kind of zoo. So um, if you look at the way gorillas should live, uh, they should live in social groups and uh, have the opportunity to uh, grow up in a complex, uh, spacious facility where they can do the kind of things that gorillas do in the wild. And the Zoo Atlanta was able to build an exhibit like that. Uh, New York built one. And almost everybody now that uh, exhibits gorillas tries to build one uh, of that quality. It's very expensive and very challenging. But uh, the same thing is happening with a lot of other animals. Elephants now, it's no longer acceptable to put a couple of elephants in a small exhibit. Uh, We now only build elephant exhibits if they can be large groups in spacious areas and the elephants are allowed to move around. Moving around is important to elephants. With gorillas, the most important thing is other gorillas. But once you spent time studying the literature and learning about how the animals live, you begin to see how it's it's uh, challenging, but uh, certainly uh, 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 useful and helpful to be able to apply these ideas in a zoo setting.
0: Yes, and perhaps you can expand a little bit on, you know, when we are designing for gorillas, um, you know, what does that mean when we're thinking about the family structure or perhaps the psychobiology of gorillas?
1: Well, gorillas are complex creatures and they're not that different from us. Uh, they're highly intelligent. Uh, they uh, are, are, are very good uh, mothers and fathers the The uh, babies are cared for uh, in ways that you, you you know you see it and you realize that this is a whole lot like the babies we see in human society. and uh, when you realize how important that socialization is, that first 12, years, 12 months of life in particular, uh, Willie B. had that in the wild. But he didn't have the socialization from age two on to adulthood. And that part is very important too. Harlow called these the affectional systems. And it starts with mother-infant, mother-bonds, and there are also paternal bonds, a little looser, but they're still there. They're heterosexual, affectional bonds as the animal matures. And then, of course, the animal uh, repeats the cycle and hopefully becomes a reproductively active, socially active parental gorilla. And that's what happened with Willie. Now, nobody ever thought when I started out there, he would ever do anything. Because people used to say, well, why don't we put him in with other gorillas? Well, first we got to get some other gorillas. Where are we going to get them? And where are we going to put them? And that took them 10 years to work that deal out with Yerkes and the Ford Motor Company so that we could actually do it. But even then, no one knew if this gorilla, deprived as he was, would ever be normal. I had a hope he would be. So we began to socialize him using everything we knew how uh, as a process to see whether he would, he would, uh, you know, change. And to our surprise and our delight, he turned out to be a highly social animal, a good breeder, no female that ever went in there with him, didn't like him. And he became also a good father. He had five offspring, and he was a very tender, uh, caring father. Uh, and just a, a model of parenthood, that, it's fun to talk about, and I think people who come to the zoo, they learn a lot about their own uh, lives just by watching him. Uh, in fact, I uh, in the book itself, Mike Hoff, who was my student and watched gorillas longer than any human being I know, he and I wrote an essay for Father's Day, and it was all about remembering Willie B and his remarkable life. So that essay is in the book. Uh, but uh, uh, he's just a remarkable creature and he embodies uh, all of the, 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 the essentials of, of being a gorilla. And uh, to be a gorilla, I try to trace through the book all the ways in which gorillas live, uh, all their requirements, their dietary requirements, talk about uh, the problems of heart disease, which plagues male gorillas in particular. And there are a lot of things we have to keep in mind as we manage these animals in captivity, to try to give them a life that is truly a replication of living in the wild, it has to be challenging. It has to be a place where they can be active and exercise, at the same time, uh, peaceful and, and uh, uh, providing with the resources and food and, and, uh, and the uh, uh, housing resources that an animal like that needs. Gorillas are huge creatures, and you know, they can weigh as much as 500 pounds. They're very strong. No one knows exactly how strong. They're stronger than we are. And uh, so it used to be that we kept them behind bars because people feared their strength. But we now have a better, better of an idea how to confine them, which is uh, better for them and better for us. And certainly they look much nicer and uh, behind the uh, vegetation that uh, you see in this new naturalistic Zeus.
0: Yes, and I really like how you use a lot of, you know, words that uh, pertain to the affective sphere. And, and, And that's so important. And also, you know, talking about caring and the intellect and the personality in which you also write in the book about. Perhaps you can talk to us a little bit also about, you know, he lived for decades in this tile concrete glass cage, that's how you found him. Can you talk a little bit how, you know, what happened when you created that new African rainforest exhibit and and how did he react and what happened in in that whole space there?
1: Well, we we had been working on naturalistic design for some years. I had been writing about it and uh, I've been consulting with architects uh, in other places, but uh, the ultimate, dream habitat I had written about and actually published a paper on. And I never imagined uh, I would ever have any influence over this, but I, I shared it with everybody because I thought somebody ought to build this. And it was a design for all three taxa, the chimps, a, uh, gorillas, and orangutans. Uh, we didn't have many bonobos in those days. But it, the idea was to have a, a innovative facilities for all three. So I was published, and then uh, a few years later, the Atlanta Zoo cracked up, and suddenly I was the director, and I, believe me, I was a big surprise uh, to be the director of the zoo. I, I was, at the time, the least experienced zoo director in the world. I had never been a, I did work for Audubon Zoo, though, for a year with Ron Foreman. I, I learned a lot from him as he was developing that zoo, and that was the only zoo experience I had as a manager. As a leader, though, that was different. As an intellectual leader, a scholar, I had been quite active in the field. So I knew what to do. I knew we could do this. But it was going to take a lot of money, and it was going to take a lot of big people agreeing to do it, including Yerkes. Yerkes had to agree to share their gorillas. So uh, we started working on that early on, and I talk about some of the benefactors that came forward, Mr. J. Krause a wonderful man, wonderful family. Uh, He put up the money to, sort of the earnest money, I call it, that saved those gorillas for us because everybody in the zoo world decided they needed gorillas and they were all knocking on Yerkes' door. Yerkes, for its part, knew they couldn't keep these big animals behind bars in their primitive facilities very much longer. They, They did not have a good facility for gorillas. So uh, it was in their best interest uh, to share them. And the best opportunity was in Atlanta where the Yerkes Center was located. So we created a partnership, a wonderful partnership and Ford Motor Company joined with enthusiasm. and They've been a sponsor of the zoo from the time I became director to the present day, still giving money and supporting the zoo in various ways. I learned a lot from Ford. And, um, and they're responsible for really the Ford African Rainforest exhibit. Uh, and uh, it never could have happened without their participation. So the, the book talks a lot about teamwork, about how you have to put together a community. Really, I said, it takes a village, as Hillary Clinton once said, uh, a really, really big village <laughs> to free a gorilla and putting them into a a rainforest. But that's what we did. And so many people are responsible. I I probably forgot half the people that were uh, involved in this thing. Literally, the whole community of Atlanta got behind it. And it was a great, great story. That's amazing. That's 20 years ago that happened. Uh, but when he died, he was so famous that 8,000 people showed up for his services. We had to have services at the zoo, because people demanded it it was one of the first zoo animals to be treated this way, but the people wanted to pay their respects. So I asked Mayor Young, who was no longer mayor, but he's a reverend, if he would give you know do the eulogy and he and he agreed to do it. He wrote this beautiful, beautiful eulogy is in the book, a good portion of it, and uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house everybody was trying and thinking about this guy and they all wanted to come up and touch the urn where we had cremated him and they wanted to have us sign their programs and for an hour afterwards I took people up to his exhibit to visit with his family they wanted to you know console the family in their in their own special way so this was a just a remarkable story and uh, from start to finish. And I I fortunate to say I was there the whole time.
0: Yes, that to me also was a story from the book that really, you know, uh, came deep. You know, I think those things are really beautiful to pay attention to this, whether it's the, the care staff, veterinarians, the director, everybody, you know, in contact and caring for the animal day to day, but also people who come and see the animals in our facilities, you know, everywhere, uh, year pass holders or other, you know, people who know the animals who come and see them on a regular basis, and uh, being able to also say goodbye, and uh, that that is such an important part. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for sharing that uh, that story also in the book, and. I think you know here you you took you talked about how it took a village and how you know the city of Atlanta got behind it and in the book you actually talk uh, you know you give some ideas around the marketing uh, of gorillas. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, this used to be somewhat controversial because when I started out in the zoo business, there were two kinds of people running zoos. Uh, uh, One kind is sort of the traditionalists, and they They didn't want to anthropomorphize. They didn't want to, uh, you know, overdo the comparisons of animals to people. Uh, And they wanted to make it as authentic as they could. Others felt like they could play with the images a little more. I learned when I was in Europe, I spent a year in Sweden, and I was reading a a lot of different uh, sources over there that uh, zoos in Europe uh, played with their images a good deal more. Uh, they used cartoons and, and uh, different uh, uh, illustrations to to make the zoo look like a fun place and uh, for kids and families. And, and uh, I kind of uh, came to understand that if you had a good reputation, if you're doing things right for the animals, people didn't mind if you played around a little bit with the image but if you were a bad, horrible place, then they didn't like it. You know, it was, it was sort of denigrated the image further. So yeah, so I realized we had to rebuild this to, to bring it to the standard where we get to enjoy it a little more fun with the images of the animals. And Willie B was such an interesting creature. He has a beautiful face. Uh, the cover of the book is a story in itself. Uh, Japanese illustrator, Chisake Aube, uh, Chisato Abe, she painted him for the first time and gave us the painting. And then she later came back and did this painting, especially for my book. And that's how much she loves gorillas. So uh, she is an example of people that were inspired just by the way he looks and his face in particular is very expressive. So, um, you can see where uh, uh, the, the marketability of an animal like this, uh, you, inside the book, as a cover of a fundraising magazine, with Willie's picture, and there were many many articles written about him, uh, and and his image and how his image had influenced the upgrades at the zoo. At the same time, we did a few fun things uh, with it. We could have done a lot more, and we. I think he could have been branded and probably been the most famous biped in the world uh, if we had worked at it, Uh, but we never hired an agency to do that. We just took advantage of the opportunities that came our way and we promoted him in various ways locally. But uh, I do think uh, he had uh, the reputation that, of course, others promoted him for us like uh, Allison Argo, who did the film Urban Guerrilla*, Wonderful, wonderful film. And Willie's kind of the star of that film. There are a number of other gorillas that were featured in it, but I think his story is the one that captured uh, people's uh, imaginations. And probably the best thing about him is it, it was resolved during the time she gave the film, put the film out, whereas Ivan, who became quite famous, of course, and Ivan came to Zoo Atlanta. To be socialized after litigation, we all know that story. But Ivan's story was not settled at the time that she did her movie. So uh, he he was uh, constantly. Uh, well, I mean, people wanted to interview him. They wanted, I mean, in, in the way that you could interview a gorilla, they wanted to film him. They wanted to see how he was doing. And they followed the progress of his courtship. Uh, Ford put up a a billboard said uh, willy or he <laughs> speculating about whether he would ever breed yeah. in the beginning. And when it happened, it was just such a magnificent outcome. Everything we hoped for happened for that gorilla. The only thing that didn't happen is I wish he'd lived a little longer. We know gorillas can live now into their 60th year because the gorilla Ozzie at Zoo. He is sixty years old this year. Uh, will he lived to be forty-one.
0: Yes, yeah. Now I think the you know the cover photo is just beautiful. I I can see you know why you love it so much and uh, and how beautiful that somebody is doing that right. And I guess when we're talking about action for animals in various ways. Um, you know, art is also such an important one. Uh, whether it's photography, whether it's painting and drawing, and ways of communicating, um, it's a it's a really a really beautiful uh, cover. Um, and uh, yeah, well, you can uh, look it up. The book is already published, so uh, you can uh, you can have a look at it for yourself. But it is very expressive, and uh, it totally draws you in. So uh, that's a beautiful book cover. And yes perhaps before we hear more about the life uh, of Willie uh, B, uh, perhaps you could talk a little bit about uh, the story of Ivan or others today in that same situation. And, um, you know, in the book, you you actually mentioned that Willie B is actually really the B second, um, because, you know, at the time, as you mentioned, you know, the animals would come from the wild and many animals, of course, didn't survive. And you're very, clear also in the book that that is, is a really shameful period for us to think back to, and, today, you know, and that we are really working together, lots of people for creating better care and welfare, of course, for gorillas today. And so could you talk a little bit to the story of Ivan and perhaps others today that are in the same situation and how things could be turned around for those animals?
1: Well, Ivan, uh, I was involved with the Ivan, uh litigation because the director of Seattle Zoo, uh, Dave Town, knew that we had this marvelous um, gorilla facility and he knew that we had a history of socializing animals that had lived difficult lives. And so he thought, well, this would be the perfect place for Ivan. Uh, Ivan was being lobbied by an animal welfare group, PAWS, and for years they demonstrated trying to get Ivan out. He was living in a department store. I mean, a horrible facility. He'd grown up in a human home, and um, frankly, I thought he had a better chance of of being socialized than Willie because the human home was intense. You know, he was just like another member of the family. So he got a lot of the rough and tumble play and interaction that I think is critical in socialization uh, by the time he got to be an adult he, he was too strong so he was confined and he lived uh, for a similar period of time behind bars now he was an icon in uh, in, in Tacoma uh, people loved him when he came to the department store uh, he was obviously a marketing tool uh, they came to see him and and they appreciated him, but they also felt sorry for him. And uh, when the opportunity to go to another zoo, a uh, good one like Atlanta came, uh, it really became a cause to live. And uh, Paws called me up there to testify in court and uh, get involved in the litigation. So I did offer to bring Ivan to Atlanta. Uh, eventually, it took about a year for us to work this out. Uh, he was uh, uh, brought by the courts out from the department store and uh, he was delivered to Zoo Atlanta, uh, for socialization. Now, Ivan did get along fine with other girls, as it turned out, but he really liked Pete better than girls. And uh, what was really funny, I don't know if I told the story in the book, I can't recall, I might've thought it was too salacious, <laughs> but I'll tell you. Uh, He copulated once that we know of, one time, and it's not that he didn't like it, but the keepers told me that the whole time he was copulating with this girl, he had his hand out uh, toward a female human keeper, and uh, they believe he was fantasizing (laughs) that he really wanted to be with her, but... uh, I don't, that's all speculation, of course, but he never copulated again with the gorilla. He did get along with them though. He was a good social gorilla, they liked him, uh, but he was not the big success that Willie B was. Uh, Now his his story was uh, published in a book uh, that uh, was not the true story. It was a sort of a fantasy. As you know, it was made into a movie. Disney made it into a movie. Uh, The one and only Ivan and it's a pretty good movie the the, uh, uh, gorillas portrayed there in a naturalistic way are are good it's good uh, effective images Uh, it's a cute story at the end of the story he goes to a zoo and it's a huge zoo way bigger than ours but it makes zoos look good as an alternative and uh, so I don't mind story, but it's not the true story. And of course, Sioux Atlanta uh, is proud of the fact that we had Ivan there for a long time. And uh, uh, But I have a lot of friends at Disney. I was an advisor to the Disney Animal Kingdom project for, for almost 20 years. And I, and I talked, when they made the film, they called me. They thought I might be mad because they were making this film about Ivan and it wasn't a true story. And I said, well, I mean, I'll watch the film and I'll tell you what I think. And in the book, I I did praise the film, but I also chided them a little bit because I thought that they really ought to do a film about Willie B, because that's the real story. Uh, There's a lot of drama, boy, in this Willie B story, some of which I couldn't write about. But even in the book itself, you can get a picture of the tension and the drama. and And I think it would be a marvelous film for Disney or someone else to make. Uh, But uh, so far they they haven't shown any interest. (laughs) We'll see what happens.
0: Yes, well, who knows? I mean, you have been very successful in many other things. So this might happen uh, too for you. So uh, that would be amazing, of course. I wonder whether well,
1: you... I'm too, I'm too I'm too. old to play myself in the film, but uh, my friend John Feller said Jack Black ought to play the young Terry Maple.
0: <laughs> oh, you're already casting people. That that's... He's, he's
1: casting it. He's <laughs> casting it for me. <laughs>
0: Excellent. So, of course, you know, there's so much in the book, um, as we already mentioned, a lot of different topics. And one of the really beautiful contributions to the book to me was also or are also the testimonials and tributes so perhaps from others uh, about Willie B so perhaps you could share some with us or you know how come that was included
1: well the way this book actually got started is when he died um, I promised the community that I was going to collect there uh, because I got so many letters, and so many phone calls and so many communications of of condolence. And I said, I'm going to put this all together into some kind of a format and eventually we'll publish the thoughts of the Atlanta community about this special animal. Well, it took years for me to figure out how to do this because it didn't really come together as a book so uh, I, when I decided to write the book about his life, I thought, well, I'll have a chapter on this, and I'll include what I think are the most impacting quotes from a variety of people, uh, from celebrities like Stephanie Powers, who who knows our zoo well, to uh, uh, the mayor, to uh, my former student Mike Hoff, who studied him more than anybody in the world, to Leon Horton, who. Uh, Charles Horton, he was his keeper for many years. And then uh, a lot of the visitors, the, the people in the community that thought he was special, uh, I took their letters and I put them together in this chapter. And uh, it is quite moving when you see uh, how he affected people. And uh, and I was uh, sorry that I couldn't put more letters in there because there were so many more but these are kind of a sampling and then uh, uh, at the uh, end of the book of course uh, you know that I I put some personal uh, history uh, sort of some recollections of that how he affected me personally and that uh, kind of is uh, an addendum to the uh, Personal testimonies from the community.
0: Yes, and I would love to hear more about that. And I was actually wondering whether uh, it would be okay to read one of them um, from your book, like one of the testimonials uh, on the podcast, so people get a little bit of an idea of what people said. Would that be okay with you?
1: Sure. You want to read it or you want me to?
0: Okay, so this is by actress Stephanie Powers who is a conservation advocate and naturalist in her own right, made the film with um, Terry on the search for the red ape and helped the zoo in countless ways over the years. And during her many visits to Atlanta, she was impressed with Willie B and witnessed his introduction into the wilds of the Ford African rainforest at its grand opening in 1988. And this is what uh, she wrote. The day he was released was the most extraordinary moment of all. To watch him sitting inside his doorway, insecure about the outside world. Looking back at his reactions, he touched his finger to the ground and then to his nose to smell his environment so new to him, and yet it must have triggered some long forgotten nostalgia from his infancy. His story and his personality is such an inspiration to us all. And I feel grateful to share with all his other admirers, the wonder and joy of observing this extraordinary individual. If there is a gorilla heaven, I hope Willie B has found a great big puffy cloud to rest on. This is just one of many really heartwarming, very beautiful Testimonials and tributes that are in the book. So thank you so much for including them. And as we are nearing the end of the podcast, I was wondering whether you would share some of your personal reflections that, as you just mentioned, about Willie B.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Let me let me share one other quote that I think is important.
0: Yes, please. A very
1: good friend of mine, uh, Reggie Williams, was a liaison to the government. Uh, and he's an African-American man, uh, a guy, who's always very supportive of my work. And he sent this message. Uh, I have many fond memories of Willie B. I will never forget the first day he stepped into the rainforest. Some people would uh, surely say, I'm stretching things, but I felt the way when Willie B was freed, That I felt when Mandela was freed. Life without freedom is nothing. That one really got to me. Uh, and there were a lot of people. You know, Atlanta has a strong African-American community. Uh, I think that saw Willie as an example of, of uh, liberation and uh, that, that's a good message for him to send. Uh, now, myself, uh, so many ways in which he affected me. Of course, he changed my career because I was, uh, I was planning to do research on, on these animals, but I never thought I would build things and get so involved in the actual changes that were occurring in the zoo world. And I, I had leadership genes. Um, I, I didn't train for it, they were just there and they were dormant during my professor days, but they had the opportunity to spring forward when they gave me this challenge. And I always tell my, my people who work for me, I'm not a good manager, don't expect me to manage you, but I can lead you, I'm a good leader. And I think that was my legacy there, that in the production of these wonderful students who of course I give them all the credit. Uh, all I did was open doors for them, but uh, maybe I inspired them a little bit, much like the gorilla inspired me. Uh, But I was so happy uh, that I could be part of it, that I could help do something important. I always wanted to change a little bit of the world. And I think I was able to do that with Willie and the other creatures that have been liberated. And you're right, there have been many, many, many gorillas around the world that have benefited from what we did in Atlanta. It helped show the way for other facilities, other institutions. So it was a personal journey. It meant a lot to me personally. I think as a father, a, a would-be father, Willie and I started out fatherless, and by the time he finishes five, I had three, and uh, it really did uh, help me to be a better father.
0: Thank you. Thanks for sharing that, and I. Yeah, I really also liked very much all the beautiful and touching photos also. Really, you know, interesting to see from both your personal life, from Billy, from, you know, lots of different people. So that's also a very uh, beautiful part of the book is the 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 photographic, if you like, history and ev- um, evolution of this whole, you know, story. So that, that is just really nice, uh, I thought, because sometimes, you know, Books don't necessarily include a lot of photos or, or other uh, images, so that I really appreciate it as well. And so I was wondering, as a final thought, could you do you want to share something about future directions or something else that you hope this book will achieve, why people should be reading it?
1: Well, I do, do hope people will read it, celebrate his life, remember him. Uh, We have a statue in in the zoo uh, that we had commissioned and it looks just like him. I've had my picture taken with him and that illustration is in the book. Uh, All all kinds of families go there. The parents and grandparents bring their little kids and they sit there and they have their picture taken with the great Willie B. Uh, But Willie B. has an heir there now, Willie B. Jr., his only male offspring. So there's lots of ways to connect to him to celebrate him, and I hope people will do that with the publication of this book. It's a great Christmas present, I think. Uh, I think people will enjoy reading it. I I, I write a lot of long books. This, is, this one is not so long. I intended it to be a short airplane ride book. You know, you pick it up and read it. At the end, you learn something. Uh, enjoy, hopefully, enjoyed it. Uh, so. Uh, uh, I I just uh, am glad that we've got it out there for people. I hope they'll never forget this guy. He was awfully important in the world. <clears throat> and I hope that uh, uh, he will inspire changes even now. As zoos evolve, we get even better and better.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, these sorts of, if you like, animal biographies are really, really, really important, as you say, to never forget uh, in, in an individual, but also, you know, the whole change, the whole reform, and how we can continue to make zoos, aquariums, sanctuaries, all other places where we care for animals or where animals are better places. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Of course, we'll put a link to the book, which is Available already. And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe we will be watching a movie in the future. And otherwise, I'm sure you will be presenting and sharing a lot more about Willie B or about lots of the other work that you're doing. So thank you again very much, Terry. Well, thank you.
1: Just go to Amazon, you'll find the book.
0: Yes. Thank you so much again for a wonderful podcast, another end of a podcast here. And of course, as you know, well-being for you and your animals is too important not to get right. And at Animal Concepts, we help you care for animals and for yourself to be at your best to achieve excellence in animal care and welfare. And Paws is the first online platform combining human and animal well-being science and practice where you can get the education and tools you need so you and your animals can flourish. So if you feel inspired, follow the link in the podcast description to become a PAUSE member today.